I really like preaching all three services. The, um, I had a couple ask me at the end of the first service, how does it feel to preach all three? And I was like, oh, I just preached one. So it's great. Ask me at the end of Crossroads and tell me how it feels. Uh, so by the time I get here, I'm, I'm good and lubed up and fired up and ready to go. So 11.39 is what the clock says. We'll do the best we can. Just kidding. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. You've been standing for a long time, so I'm going to, you can stay seated, but in the posture of your hearts, uh, would you stand for the word of God? This is that great day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you, listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So in the sanctuary services, there is a, there's a, a bulletin. Like you, you're, you are given a bulletin when you come in. I know for some of you that's far, and you're like, what is a bulletin? I don't, we don't do a bulletin in here. But in a bulletin, there's the sermon, the place where the sermon is, and there's a title for the sermon. And I'm not a sermon title guy because for a couple of reasons. One, I don't, I, I don't want to put something in place that, that, that leads you to say, well, this is the theme of the text, or this is specifically what God is saying through this passage. Because the reality is we can open a passage like this, and, and I can begin to, pre- begin to preach, and the Holy Spirit will, will come and will work in your midst, and will work in your life, and you will hear the things that God wants you to hear from this. So I don't want to set us up by saying, well, this is about this. And so I just told Dana, I said, well, just, just put the title, just Pentecost, that's, that's it, that's the title. But if I were going to title the sermon, there are so many options here in, in this text. We could, have, we could have gone with, as the Spirit enabled them, right? That, I mean, that's, that's Pentecost. That's what, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. 
Or it could have been, what does this mean? Wind and fire. Too much wine. Amazed and perplexed. It's only nine in the morning. Or this would have been my front runner if I were going to title it, this ain't nothing but a Holy Ghost party. One of the things that I love and appreciate so much about our tradition is the way that we kind of work through the, the, the church calendar, if you will. Not, not just the calendar of the year, but specifically the church calendar. We, we order and we build our lives around these moments throughout the year when we are, we are almost forced to remember and recall these, these moments in, in the overarching story of, of God's interaction with God's people and and the history of the church, and just forces us to, to pause in this like crazy, busy life that all of us live to, to pause and to remember why, why is this significant, right? We, we have the, the season of Advent, the four weeks that lead us up to celebrate and appreciate how significant it is that God in the flesh as a baby was born into this world as the person of Jesus. I mean, that's, a, that's an earth-changing thing right there. And and then Christmas, obviously, we remember Christ's birth and the season of Lent, those 40 days leading up to Easter where we remember Jesus' suffering in the wilderness, his, his 40 days that he spent in fasting in the wilderness before he was tempted. And we remember weakness and we remember our own frailty and, and all of that to prepare us for what is Holy Week. And, and we remember um, the Last Supper that Jesus spent with his disciples and Good Friday when Jesus went to the cross and was crucified and gave up his life for us. And then Holy Saturday, which we don't talk a ton about, but it's, it's just a, a day of, of reflection. And, and I mean, you know, trying to put yourselves in the place, put ourselves in the place of those first followers of his who, like, they saw him crucified and, and now there's nothing. Like, there's no, the, only, the hope that they had is in a tomb with a, a large stone over the front of it. And then the excitement and the wonder and the hope that's wrapped up in the resurrection and the fact that we get to come together and to celebrate that, that death did not have the final say, that Jesus walked out of the tomb. And we remember um, Christ the King Sunday and we remember the baptism of Jesus and, and this Sunday we remember Pentecost and this one of the three pilgrim, uh, pilgrimage festivals of the people of God. There was Passover, which is when Jesus was crucified, and then 50 days later, Pinta, there's this festival in which the people from all over the known world traveled to Jerusalem to honor and to remember God's faithfulness. And there, there are a couple different layers to what Pentecost is. It, it remembers the, the first fruits of the harvest. It, um, Later traditions were, it remembers the giving of the law to Moses on, on Sinai, but it was another pilgrimage festival. So the people of God come from all over. For us, the reason that we remember it and, and reflect on it each year, the reason that we celebrate Pentecost Sunday is because it is the time that we mark and remember the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is so significant for us as the church and as people of God. Right, if we were to think of the overarching narrative of this book that we call the Bible, this collection of stories and accounts and directives and 77%, I believe, over 70% of this is Old Testament. 
right? So the Old Testament tells us the story of who God is, and many of us incorrectly think of and refer to God as the God of the Old Testament, right? Because we, we look at the God of the Old Testament, if you want to think of God that way, and say, well, that God is vengeful and full of judgment and like, like he just woke up on the wrong side of the bed and he's having a perpetual bad day and just taking it out on his people. And, and the reason that we want to do that is because that's, we don't know what to do with a God like I mean, some people are like, yeah, that's my guy. That is my God right there, like vengeful judgment, like, you know, thunder, lightning, pillars of fire. That, that's, I can get behind that. But many are like, oof, I don't know. And so that's God of the Old Testament. But it's, there's not a God of the Old Testament. God of the, I mean, it is God. When we, we get beyond that and, and get beneath what we see on the surface, in the Old Testament, we, we, we learn of a God who existed in the fullness of himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the creation account, let us make man in our image. Out of the fullness of who God is and existing in that relationship, God wanted to create. God created so that that relationship could be shared. Right? And, and so then, obviously, we, we, we break um, trust with God, which we'll talk about in a moment. And from that moment on, yes, there is discipline. Yes, there is judgment. But from that moment on, God has been in pursuit of humanity, pursuit of our hearts and our allegiance. And we see that time and time and time again. Joseph says it best when he is before the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh Joseph who was sold by his brothers into slavery, Joseph who was left for dead, when, when his brothers are like, you know, realize that he's still alive, and they're, they're worried about judgment, and Joseph says, hey, what, what the enemy intended for evil, God used for good. So every time that we as humans, and I say we because we still do it, try to mess up the things that God intends, uh, God just takes that and redeems it and uses it for his purposes and his good. So that, that's the God that we see, that we come to know in the Old Testament, a God who is patient, a God who pursues his people, a God, yes, who, who will judge, and a God who will discipline, but it's all out of love, a God who will call a people and set them apart for himself, and a God who teaches them how to, shows them what it looks like to live a life that is set apart. And then in the New Testament, which would be just over 20% of Scripture, much of that are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the story of who? Jesus, the Son, right, the second part of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity. And we see in Jesus, this God who came and was born into this world, God who put on flesh, came to live and walk and move among us. Jesus who taught as a person who had authority as it's said of him. Jesus who gave sight to the blind. Jesus who proclaimed liberty and release and freedom from those who are held captive Jesus, who did miraculous things. Jesus, who loved the unlovable. Jesus, who invited to the fellowship table tax collectors and sinners and, and prostitutes. Jesus, who approached lepers rather than ran away from them. And then the rest of the New Testament, we have these, the letters that were written to the early churches, encouraging them, yes, sometimes disciplining them, yes, course correcting, hey, you, you, you've gotten off course because you, you've bought into like belief about these things, but let's remember who you are and who you're called to be. And then we have this book, Acts. Who wrote Acts? Come on, yes. 
Great read for the summer. We're going to actually spend the summer looking at David's life and the things that we can learn there. So encourage you to read um, the story of David, read David's Psalms. But, but next time you need a, a good read from Scripture, read the Gospel of Luke, flip over, and just keep reading in Acts. It, it is the same author, right? This account of Jesus, who he is, what he came to do, what he accomplished, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit and what resulted. So we have in, in the New Testament, much of which is the Gospels, the rest uh, letters, then you have the prophetic word at the end in Revelation. Right here, you have Acts. And, and then in Acts, just a handful of verses describing for us the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit, what happened on this day. And so it's no wonder that many of us, like when you hear Holy Spirit, you're like, ooh, I don't know. I don't know if I want the Holy Spirit to show up. Right? Like, I mean, depending on your kind of history with, with the church and with faith, it, it's like, yeah, that, that's like that uncle that, you know, like great uncle or distant relative that you invite to the family gathering because you're supposed to, because you invited the rest of the family, but you, you kind of hope he doesn't show up because you don't know how he's going to act when he gets here, right? Like, is he just going to say inappropriate things around the kids or you just don't know. And so some of you are like, yeah, that's how I feel about the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I want the Holy Spirit to show up because things get weird. Like maybe you've been, or, or some of you are like, no, I, more Holy Spirit. I want the weird, right, Robbie? Yeah. Like I got, I'm, you know, you've heard me say, like I have my anointing oil ready, like the spirit flags are in the car, I've got my shafar ready to blow that sucker whenever, just come on. And so we don't, we don't know what to do <laughs> with, with the Holy Spirit. We can, like, Jesus, we, historical account, we, I mean, there's some things about Jesus that we can't wrap our minds around, but the Holy Spirit, we just, you can't touch it. You feel it, maybe, but did I feel the Spirit, or was that emotion? And so we just, it's easier, I think, for us to just say, yeah, we're, we're just going to set that aside and, and just look at the, the rest, the other two persons of the Trinity. And yet the reality is, the reality is, without the Holy Spirit, we, none of us are here. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, that is not a decision that you came to by yourself. If you recognize the hurt and the brokenness and, and sin in your life and, and came to this point where you're like, you know what, I need something greater than myself because I've exhausted all of who I am and that's not working out. When you come to that point and realize that need, you don't come to that by yourself. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that makes that possible. And so the Holy Spirit is alive, active, present in your life and in the church. The question is, are we, are we willing to embrace that or, or are we just content to ignore it? Now, I think on the other side of that, there's, you can overemphasize the work of the Spirit to the point that, like, I, there, I had a guy, a colleague in youth ministry say one time, when he was talking about, like, retreats, he was like, hey, if I don't, if I don't, you know, if like four or five kids don't cry, like, you know, during our time of worship, then I feel like I've failed. And I'm like, what? I don't, maybe you, I don't know if you should be in youth ministry, man. Like, I don't think that's the, I don't think that's what we're supposed, that's what that's supposed to be like. But we can overemphasize the presence and the, the work of the Holy Spirit to the point that, that it's, it's unbiblical, one, and, and two, it, it, it's, like we're pushing people away from God rather than inviting them closer. So if we're on these extremes, and, and I think the, maybe the more dangerous is 
just the neglect, right? It's like, it's like being given, you know, maybe you've, you've been given like a box full of stuff. Somebody's like, hey, I, got, I was cleaning up the house. I want to give you these things. And you're, you're, you know, then you have the, you can't say no. So you're like, oh, thank you. I don't need anything else, but thank you so much. Um, and so you're sorting the, there's like, here's the, the keep things, you know, and then you get this thing. You're like, I don't even know what this is. And so I, I'm not going to keep it because I don't know how to, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's for. I don't know how to use it. So I'm going to set that aside. And guaranteed, if you do that, that is the thing that person is going to ask you about. They're going to come back and say, like, I, I think about my, my grandfather, um, great-grandfather had, um, there was always a bowl full of, like, like, walnuts, like, nuts that you, you know, crack with a nutcracker. And only his wasn't just, like, the kind you picked up. It was this, like, contraption. But I wouldn't have known that's what it was unless he showed me. Um, and, and we just would go and just crack all, you know, a bowl full of nuts. And they could have been decades old. I don't know. We never ate any. We just made a mess on his coffee table. But, like, he could have given me that, and I would have looked at it and thought, I don't know what this is. And so we just set it aside. It's, I, I, you know, I'm many of you, I'm a driveway mechanic. Like if I can find a good YouTube video, I'll give it a shot. I'll just at least try to fix the thing I think is wrong with the car. Um, I got oil leaking out right now. Pete alerted me to this this morning. So I got a project, right? Like I'm going to try to figure out what's going on and try to fix it. Now, the worst thing is when you take something out and, you know, I've taken it apart, replaced what needs to be replaced, put it back together, and then I look down and there's still a piece laying there. Man, that wasn't there before. I hope that's not important. We're just going to see if, you know, this will work without it. And the reality is that's, for many of us, that's how we approach the Holy Spirit. I don't really know what that's for. I don't really fully understand the work of the Holy Spirit, and so I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave that out and hope for the best. Or I'm, that's the gift I'm going to get rid of because I don't really know what to do with it. I don't know what it's for. And my hope this morning, it, again, we, we could spend in weeks on like unpacking the work of the Holy Spirit. But my hope is that we're able to look at this and, and begin to lean into and understand, wait, the, the Spirit's already at work in your lives in ways that maybe you don't recognize. And so to begin to recognize them and then it, it frees us to really begin to ask and pray for more of the Holy Spirit. All right, so we have to remember, first thing is that Jesus promised, John records this in his gospel, 14 and 16, chapter 14 and 16, um, John talks about, I mean, Jesus talks about the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So John records this, Jesus says, when I leave you, I'm not going to leave you alone. Like, I'm going to send a helper, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Holy, like the Holy Spirit, we will, through the Spirit, we will come, he's talking about he and the Father, we will come and make our home in you. We're not going to be left alone. We're going to be with you and like intimately connected to you. And, and then he begins to talk about things that the Spirit will do. So Jesus, this is really important, right? Jesus gives this command, this commission. The commission is to go and make disciples, right? He re- reiterates that as Luke records in um, Acts chapter 1. Go into and, and make disciples. Go and tell people. Go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Go and proclaim this good news. Right? So that's the directive. That's the command. That's the commission. And yet Jesus tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit. So it, it, out of the gate, it becomes clear that you can't, do, you can't live into the command. You can't live into the commission. You can't fulfill the directive without this promised Holy Spirit, without the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and yet so many of us are like, just give me the tasks. I'm, I, I will do it. Type A, give me a checklist, and I will burn through that joker. 
And others are like, I know there's work to do, but I, I don't even know where to begin. Holy Spirit, we can't, we can't faithfully live into who God has called us to be apart from the Holy Spirit. That is true for each of us as individuals. It is true for us as a church. We have big, we have big dreams as a church, big goals. Our mission, we feel like very clear, God has called us to love our community and invite all to discover life in Christ. And our vision, the thing that allows us to live that out. Now, we're, there's some discussion among our, our vision team, like maybe it's a little wordy because if we want you to you know, make it a part of your thinking about what it means to be a part of the church, we, we need to make it a little more bite-sized. But I've spent so much time with it. I, it's all are becoming deeply transformed disciples who live for the transformation of hearts, the church, the community, and the world. That's a lot. I, I get it. So we're working on that. But we just feel like those are big, really ambitious things. And, and that we can't live into that faithfully without the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? So Jesus tells his followers to wait. And then Luke records what happens to them in the waiting. This, he records the phenomena. The sound like the mighty rushing wind, the tongues of fire, the proclamation in tongues that aren't you know, native to these guys. But notice that Luke doesn't, like that's it, he, he doesn't spend a whole lot of time focusing on the phenomena because he's not concerned, like that's not the focus. The focus for him is the presence. What happens now that the presence of God has been manifest among his, the followers of Jesus? What does the presence mean and what does the presence enable the followers to do? So they're gathered together, waiting. The Holy Spirit comes. Sound, not a wind in the place, but the sound like a mighty rushing wind. And that's probably even more unnerving because they're, they're gathered together in a place physically and they, there's, they don't feel the effects of wind, but they hear it. And then there are tongues of fire which come and rest on the heads of all who are gathered there. This is not just the the 11 or the, the 12 now that they've chosen a replacement for Judas. That, what is? That's a beautiful tune. <laughs> is that all I want for Christmas? That's what that sounded like to me. <laughs> I was going to start singing it, but I am no Mariah Carey. Tongues of fire come to rest <laughs> on the people who are there. And then they begin the proclamation. Right, So the first thing that, that is important for us to understand here and, and maybe one of the ways that we see and recognize the work of the Holy Spirit is that the fact that this thing comes from the outside, that this is not some like emotional moment that the followers have stirred up among themselves. This is a thing that comes from outside of them, which automatically sets us on a collision course with the world. Right, Because the world seeks to convince us, hey, all of your problems are out there. That person who's mistreating you, that person who thinks that way, that person who votes that way, like all of your problems are out there. And then the, even more dangerously, the world says to you, you can fix it. You got what it takes. You go, girl, like whatever. Like you, you stir your, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You have what it takes to fix this problem. What Christianity tells us and what the Ark of Scripture tells us is the opposite, the problem is in here. The problem is my brokenness. The problem is my sin, and I can't do anything about it. I can, I can try to hide it. 
I can try to cover it up. I can try to mask it. But the problem is in here. And, and what that does, Martin Luther, uh, the word he uses for this is incurvitus se. It's a Latin word that means curved in on self. Curved in on self, which means that I am the center of the universe, right? And, and the problems exist in the world because if you have a bunch of people running around believing that they are the center of the universe, then of course my center, like me being my center of my universe is going to collide with you being your center of your universe. And I mean, that, that is absolutely why the world looks the way that it does today. Our faith tells us and the gospel tells us that the problem is in here, therefore the solution must come from out there. It, it, it is from something outside of us. The, the power of the gospel, the, the power of the cross, something outside of us that comes and heals our brokenness. A power that is outside of us that, that draws us away from that gravitational center being self to the place where the gravitational center is Jesus. So, already we begin to see work of the Holy Spirit is, it, it's going to, let that dying to self, that daily decision to die to self. We don't come up with that on our own. None of us want to do that. That's like probably one of the hardest things about following Jesus. And yet that's the call. And every time we recognize the ways that we haven't done that, and every time we recognize our need to do that, work of the Holy Spirit. So we see in the, the sound of wind and the tongues of fire this, this reminder that the power for new life, that the power for healing comes from outside of us and comes to be present within us. Tongues of fire separate, and fire for the people of God represented the presence of God. Think of the burning bush. Holy Spirit, come. <laughs> Think of the burning bush. Presence of God. In that place where Moses was, Moses is what? Drawn to it. Think of the pillar of fire that led the people by night. They just kept following the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, presence of God going before him, gave him something to follow. Think of Moses on the mountain. The top of the mountain is consumed with cloud and fire. Moses is there, the man on the mountain. Right, we have a new man on the mountain now. His name is Jesus. But Moses was the mediator at that time. So now, look what's happened. Tongues of fire come to rest. Now all of a sudden, all who are gathered, all of you who are followers of Christ, now all of a sudden, all of us are burning bushes. The revealed presence of God in the world. Holy Spirit continues to move us in that direction and use us to be examples and signposts for the presence and work of God. What else does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. Truth about two things. Leads us into all truth that Jesus promises in John's gospel. Truth about two, two things. Truth about who God is and truth about who you are. Because we can believe all sorts of things about ourselves that are simply not true. We can assign to God things that we assume God thinks about us. Blaise Pascal said that God created man in his image and we have spent the rest of the time since returning the favor. We project onto God how we feel about ourselves. If we feel like we are worthless, if we are broken down, if we are unlovable, if no one wants us, if God doesn't want anything to, to do with us, we assume that that's how God feels about us, which is simply not true. Paul calls attention to this in 
his letter to the church in Rome, in Romans uh, chapter 8, beginning with verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves to what? To the, the negative self-talk and the things that you think about yourself. The Spirit does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Truth about who God is as a loving God. Yes, God will discipline us. Yes, God will, there will be judgment. But those things happen because God loves us and God wants the best for us. And when we give ourselves to things that are outside of God's best, God is willing to do what it takes to draw us back from that and to teach us how harmful that is. But all the while, allowing us to experience God as Father, a loving Father, a Father who will not, as he goes on, Paul goes on to write at the end of that chapter, a God who, who, whose love cannot be removed from us. There is nothing that we can do to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So what does the Holy Spirit do in leading us to truth about self and about God? It takes what we know and have been taught from our minds and just draws it down into our hearts so that we begin to live life in that reality. There's a 17th uh, century British Puritan pastor named Thomas Goodwin who tells the story of, of watching a father and son walk along the street. And they're, they're conversing, and I mean, who knows what you know, father and like his little son are talking about. There's no telling. They're conversing, they're walking together, and all of a sudden this moment, this, the father scoops up his son into himself and I mean if you've ever had like little child arms wrapped around your neck nothing like it in the world that embrace son hugging the father father hugging the son kisses him sets him back down they continue to walk along and Goodwin asked this question he says was the little boy more a son in his father's arms than he was when he was walking next to him on the road and I mean like legally no he didn't all of a sudden become more of a son. He was, he was as much a son when he was walking next to his father as he was in his father's arms. But experientially, he experienced something different about his father's love for him when he was wrapped up in his arms. Friends, the Holy Spirit, that's part of what the Holy Spirit does in leading us into truth about who God is and who we are as his. That we experience the love of God for us that we experience that, that it goes from being just head knowledge to being something that our lives get wrapped up in because we've experienced it in ways that we really have a hard time describing to people, but we begin to live in it such that we want other people to know. What you have here is a gathering of people who are so enraptured and so caught up in the goodness of the gospel that then now all of a sudden, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they begin to declare the wonders of God to those who are gathered. What's the most wonderful thing that God has done but to rescue humanity, to send his son to give us life and invite us into life with himself through the cross and made possible by the cross and the resurrection. Declaring the wonders of God's redemptive work in this world to all who are gathered there. And if language is the bearer of culture, what we are seeing here is that God is breaking down the walls of culture that we would use to divide us from one another. It's reflected in the life and ministry of Jesus and sitting at a table with those who are not like him and those who the religious leaders said, yo, you cannot, you shouldn't even be with them. Jesus is like, nope, those are my people. Those are the ones I came for. I didn't come to call the, the ones who are healthy. I came to call the sick and that is all of us. 
So this message being heard in, in languages of all who were gathered there, now all of a sudden we realize, hey, these, these labels, these lines that we've used to divide us, they don't define us anymore. It doesn't mean that you don't cease to be the unique person that you are. You, that's one of the ways that you bear the image of God in this world. But it means that because your focus becomes so fixed on the goodness of God, that that's the lens now through which you see the people around you. And, and so that we see the Holy Spirit enable these followers to declare the goodness of God in languages that are understood by others. For us, it would mean that we begin to learn the story of other people. And God enables us to proclaim his goodness and the gospel in a way that is contextual to that person's life. And I can do that, one, because the Holy Spirit has empowered me to, but two, because I've been willing to take the time to hear their story and get to know them and spend time with them and walk with them. And then ultimately we see the ways that the early church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, orders their life together so that God continues to use them to draw people to himself. Friends, it is still the work of the church. We are in the age of the church right now. And for all of her failings and for all of her shortcomings, she is still the bride of Christ. She is still the means by which God intends for the gospel to go out into this world. And that doesn't happen without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so my, my hope and prayer is that if we, if we've, as we have talked through some of these things, and listen, the work of God, the person of God, and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is vast is that as you begin to lean in, as you begin to experience the reality of the work of the Spirit, you just want more of it in your life. Sometimes it does lead to and mean things that we cannot explain or describe. Oh, that that would be the case for us. Sometimes it does mean that there is a sense of emotion. Emotion is a gift that God has given us. What a gift to be able to express our response to the goodness of God emotionally. Sometimes it means that in, in your quiet place, the Holy Spirit is going to deal with you in ways that you have lived outside of what it means to, looks like to be a child of God. So maybe the Spirit ceases to be something that we ignore or the person, the Trinity that we ignore or that we overemphasize and instead the Holy Spirit becomes for us the key to living faithfully, the key to walking faithfully as a church and the key to living into the mission that God has given us as his people. stand together and pray. God, we confess to you that there are any number of ways that we miss opportunities to experience the fullness of life that you have called us to through Jesus. And, and so much of that, frankly, Lord, is because we ignore the work of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would remove any fear or apprehension that we would understand that every good gift that proceeds from you, the gift of the Holy Spirit included, proceeds from a heart that is loving, proceeds from a God who is wise beyond measure, proceeds from a God who already knows and sees the end and is drawing us to that point. And so Holy Spirit, come, fall afresh on us, stir in us hearts of the gratitude and thankfulness for the very breath that is in our lungs that is representative of your spirit in our midst and at work within us. Call us to remember who we are as your children. 
Call us to allow you to deal with those things in our lives that are not of you. Empower us. Set us on a trajectory of purpose in our lives that is your purpose for us. Empower us to share with all people this message, this good news of a God who loves us and a God who is willing to go to great lengths to rescue us from ourselves. Holy Spirit, come because it all hinges on your presence and your work in our midst. We love you. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's sing together.